I'm so thankful the children get to stay with us while we sing. Uh, we likely at this time of season will sing uh, in the coming weeks some more familiar hymns, uh, Christmas carols, I should say, um, extolling the birth of Christ. And, and I'm thankful our kids get to learn the old and the new uh, music. I personally like that, that song that we just sang. Uh, it, it is actually a way of us kind of being challenged with the, the way we live our Christian life. We're, so many things that we do um, in worship and in church life uh, become habit. And uh, I'm thinking as we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, when there was a noticeable drop off when, when, we, when we switched the, the tempo and the, and, and the, and the music there um, to accompany the refrain, the chorus. But I, I will say, it kind of like, well, wait a minute, something different's happening. Uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, right, that beautiful face. It's, 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 it's familiar. But then to be challenged, and if you, as we continue to sing that song, I want you to take note of the storyline. The storyline is very much in tune with where we are as we focus on Christmas, leading us in the direction of, of coming to Christmas in a way that maybe expecting, you know, wonderful things, but, but really making sure that we're finding Jesus in our pursuit of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas. And I, I, I welcome you here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, it would be normal for, for any church to probably have some guests during the Christmas season, and we, we do welcome you here. Uh, as we go into this particular sermon, I'm, I don't always pray before the sermon, but I like to pray today. Um, for sensitivity on my part, for the, for the movement of the Holy Spirit in my preaching as well as in your receiving, uh, and then all of us as we walk out of here today, that uh, we would be mindful of what God is trying to do in our lives this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can come before you today uh, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We're thankful, Father, that as we come today, as we have yet one more, we're yet one more week closer to Christmas as a day on the calendar in the month of December. Lord, I pray that with everything that we're talking about and as your word is brought to our minds and our hearts, that we would respond certainly at this time of year. But Lord, I pray that the gospel would be so much more than that, that we would respond every day in light of what you have done on our behalf. Father, we praise you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, coming into this world. Not to just make it better, but to redeem it. And Father, to redeem it for your glory and for our good. And, and so we're thankful for the message of the gospel, that we can have our sins forgiven for eternity. And Father, we can live our life now in righteousness. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We have the freedom in Christ to live in a way that will actually glorify you. Father, we've never been able to do that in our lives before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to this particular uh, sermon, I pray that you would give me sensitivity, but not too much sensitivity, that you would bring uh, your words to, to my lips, and, and, and Lord, that I would uh, rely upon you and, and as we move in the direction of considering yet another obstacle to our joyful worship. 
But Father, I pray for those that are here today that they would be receptive to the hearing of your word and to, and to the living it out as we walk from this place this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the afternoon comment wasn't intended to be a, prophet, a prophetic statement. Uh, I don't plan on going all the way uh, past noon, but we will have our business meeting today, and I hope you'll stick around for that. And we invite you to stay for our, uh, for our fellowship time uh, between the service and the business meeting. If you have to take off after that, speaking to our guest, uh, you're more than welcome to stay, see how we do business. Uh, but the, the business meeting will be, and emotions will be for the, for the membership, but uh, you're certainly welcome to stay. So we are in a four-part series talking about expecting Christmas, finding Christ. And I don't know if you see in that, that, that picture, the way that it was uh, designed was to, to have the Christmas tree and the gifts and the, and the family in the center. But off to that bottom left, as you're looking at it, is a little, you know, Jesus, Mary, Joseph figurines there, kinda, kind of eclipsed by everything else going on. And, uh, and I, had, I didn't bring that to the focus last week, but it is there for a purpose, it's, it's the idea that we're, we can get so caught up in the Christmas season and, and so uh, infatuated by our traditions and by our memories that we can go through in the entire Christmas season and never find Christ. Never even consider the gift that, that He is to the world. And so I hope that as we uh, progress from sermon to sermon uh, uh, that you would God would do that work in your heart and mind as he's doing it in ours. Uh, last week, I introduced you to the idea that if we're going to find Christ, there's two obstacles to our joyful witness, uh, worship of Christ. There's, uh, I, I, I'm using that for my two sermons, which was last week and this week. Uh, next week will be Pastor Joe, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll have Pastor Dave and Pastor Aaron uh, both conducting uh, the uh, the, the message times as, as we go through here. But the, the first obstacle that we talked about last week was this idea of idolatry. Uh, this idea that it, it is, idolatry is something that we know of in the world, right? We know that throughout history people have worshipped idols of stone or wood or, or some other uh, aspect of, of uh, creation, right? We know that we're told that uh, mankind is guilty of worshipping the, crea- the creation more than the creator, and, uh, but as, as I approach this idea to obstacles and joyful worship, I'm really coming at it from a standpoint of believers. Those who would say they believe in, in Christ, they, they worship God, they have a desire to worship God. But even we are capable of falling into the, into the uh, sinful practice of idolatry. And, and so I, I phrase it this way for today's purposes. That when we desire a good gift from God more than we desire God himself, we are guilty of idolatry. And, and, and this, this is just the reality that I don't expect you to suffer with actual idolatry of, of worshiping a thing. You know, somebody could worship this remote, and, and that would be a formal idea of idolatry. But I, I'm challenging us that we recognize as we head into this Christmas season, of which we are, are in, that, listen, there are many, many good gifts from God. We could name Family, friends, finances, dwelling places, belongings, weather, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever. You could, you could list a, a myriad of things that God has blessed us, blessed you with. And if any of those things that God has given you as a good gift become 
to the, become so important in your life that they eclipse the importance of God. I think we're guilty of idolatry. So I, I basically just gave you four solution steps, and I'm not going to spend much time on this. But we ought to know the promises of God, which we come to know through the engaging, engaging in his word. And there's many promises, all right? We should have confidence in those promises. Why? Because they came from God. And, and therefore, if we know they came from God and they are, they, that we can have confidence in them, we are to trust in them. We're going to build off, off that idea of trust a little bit today. But I think God is worthy of our trust. If he's promised it, we should take him at his word. And then we kind of focused at the end there, this idea of declare your citizenship every day. It's the idea, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, which I'm going to challenge you in just a moment of whether or not you are or not. But I would say, if we are going to say that we're a child of God, we are declaring that we are a citizen of his kingdom. And, and just as a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, a citizen of heaven, uh, a citizen of the kingdom of God, cannot participate as a citizen of the world as if his citizenship in heaven doesn't matter. We are foremost pilgrims. We are foremost uh, visitors in this world. Our citizenship, if we are in Christ, is a citizenship that is uh, truly in the presence of God and will be realized fully when Jesus returns. So obstacle number two to joy to our joyful worship, and again, this goes for every week, not just Christmas, but I think it's especially at Christmas time, is this idea of hardships. So idolatry is something that we can fall into. Hardships are often those things that fall upon us. Not always. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, here. But ha- really the, the abiding question in my mind as I approach this particular sermon is, how do we overcome the hardships of this life so we may enter into joyful worship at Christmas? So uh, we're, we're just going to focus on that question. How do I overcome hardships? This is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps message. This isn't talking about doing this in your own strength. This is identifying genuine hardships that come into our lives, and they are an obstacle to joyful worship. I think as we progress through here, you'll see that there may be any number of hardships present in this room at this very moment. Hardships that, are, that have come upon you or are just being fully realized in your life. And, and you're approaching Christmas with the idea that this hardship is looming much larger than the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what that means for the world. So when I asked this question, I thought myself, well, it kind of depends on why the hardship is present in my life. We're going we're gonna to deal with the first two rather quickly Rather quickly, not quickly, but rather quickly. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, you know, the, the hardships that are they're present. I have three ways that hardships enter into our lives. The first way is, is it a result of my own sin? I think if we come to Christmas and we are supposed to enter into the true meaning of Christmas and, and why Jesus Christ, God's Son, came into the world, we would be negligent to not ask ourselves, Where does sin fit in the picture? And the way I'm looking at it today as we talk about this obstacle of hardships coming into our lives, there are hardships that come into our lives as a result of our individual sin. It's just true. 
And I, I want you to recall in your own individual heart and mind right now, corporately we cannot answer this question, but individually we must. Have you ever come to the point of understanding your sin in light of God's holiness? Have you ever come to that time where, uh, listen, as a, as, a, as, a, as a nice young man who practiced his religion faithfully, it wasn't until that time where my sin became large in my eyes. My sin as not only something that God didn't like, but something that moved him out of love and compassion and mercy to send his son into this world to die for my sin. I knew I was a sinner. But there was a day where that realization made a difference. And I'm asking you this morning, has there ever been a time when, when in light of your recognition of the sin in your life, did it ever make a difference? Because if it made a difference in response to the gospel, it has made an eternal difference. Is the hardships that you're experiencing a result of your own sin? I thought to myself, uh, another way of dealing with this is it, is it is due to the sins of others against me. This is the second area. I think I started preaching the first point a little too soon, but that's okay. Uh, this means we'll go faster later. A second way that, that hardships come to our life is when the sins of others are brought into our life, right? I, I have experienced this, but I will not go into detail in the way other people's sins have impacted me. Formatively, prior to my salvation, specific sins committed in such a way that it has impacted my formation as a human being. I don't want to take this lightly. Yes, some people are angry people, and yes, that, that can kind of get into your life. Their sin of anger can, can get into your life. I get that. But there's a, there's, as anything, a spectrum of anger, and I will say that, you know, the anger I dealt with wasn't so formative in my life. But for some people, the sin of anger committed into their lives at the, at the hands of those who may have been abusive, at the hands of whatever, uh, whatever situations, some of those sins, oh my word, some of those sins of anger that may even bring about violence, that's formative in who we are. And so as we are trying to overcome hardships, we may be caught up on our own sin right now. We may be experiencing the sins of others and, and how that is messing with us right now in our own lives as we live and breathe right now. There are more than likely people struggling in these two areas. The third one that is going to spend most of our time uh, in, the, in the sermon to come is the hardships that are due to situations in my life. In other words, it's not from my sin or the sins of others. It's the situation in life. I, I stayed away from the word circumstances, so I looked for a synonym of circumstances, and I came up with situations, right? But really, situations in life, uh, that, that's a theological approach that sits in Lieben. It's a German way of saying the situations in life, th those are very formative, and we are all going through situations in our lives right now. Not all of them are hardships, but some of them are. 
And for those of you that may not be undergoing a hardship right now, I don't think it would be too hard for you to identify a hardship of the past. But please, if you haven't even experienced that, there will be some hardships coming in the future. Especially if you count yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ in this world that wants to reject him. So overcoming hardships related to our own sin requires us to repent. And that's the simple, and that's, that's the, the simple answer, right? If there's sin comes on the picture, repent from it. Now, I, I try to think of what scripture verse I could, I could say, but uh, I could quote to you, but I thought there's just too many, so I decided to just maybe bring uh, the, into, into focus here that repentance is an appropriate response to our sin, but faith stories in the Bible. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to yell them out. I just want you right now with your Bible knowledge to think about people who recognize their sin and have come to faith in Christ. Be thinking about the characters within Scripture or even Old Testament characters who would recognize their sinfulness and, and come to a, a, a truer, deeper faith in God, not knowing that his son was, was uh, going to be coming. But as I think of faith stories in the Bible, I think of Peter. I think of Peter when, you know, when he was on that boat. It's new in Jesus' public ministry. He's, you know, obviously, he is born at Christmas. He was raised a sinless, sinless life. He, he, he comes on the scene. He's baptized. He goes off into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation, of which he, he never succumbed to sin. And then we see him early in his ministry calling his disciples, and he, and he says, Peter, let me, let me step into your boat so I can preach to, to these people. Okay, Lord, go ahead. And then he says that he's concluded, hey, Peter, you know, I know you've been out all night and you've, been, and you've caught nothing, but go ahead and set out and drop your nets as he's, you know, in the process of, you know, listening to Jesus and putting his nets away or binding them up or Okay, Lord, we haven't called any all night, but because you ask, Lord, because you ask, Jesus, teacher, I will do what you say. And they caught so many fish, it was going to sink their boat. And when, when Peter realized what had just transpired, his personal experience, his, his knowledge of his lack of a catch of fish to an abundance of fish at the word and the presence of this one person, Jesus, he bowed before the Lord and said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's the kind of testimony I want you to have. If you don't have a testimony like that yet, that's what I want for you. I want you to see your sin in contrast to the righteousness of Jesus Christ in such a way that you would bow the knee and say, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner because Jesus will never ask you to depart. He established Peter as a disciple. He established him as an apostle. He brought him through the difficulty of experiencing the re his own rejection of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and then his restoration after his resurrection. And, and Peter is a great idea, the, a great representative of a, of a faith story, the Bible, that, that he repented. He was, he was knowledgeable of his, sin, of his sin and he repented. Paul's another great example. I won't go into much detail, but we know he was persecuting the church. 
We know that he was thinking he was doing what was right and just and glorified God until Jesus knocked him off of his animal, knocked him to the ground, bright light shining, and he, and he, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. What was going through his mind at that? Uh-oh. Jesus? And then he served Jesus faithfully for the rest of his life. But he saw his sin, and he counted his sin as, as this, this thing in his life that said, I am not worthy of the grace of God because of the great sin in my life. I even persecuted the church, which meant sending people to prison, condoning their deaths. Saul, who became Paul, was very clear. When he came into the presence of Jesus, his sin loomed large. But he was forgiven for his sins. Another great faith story. You can, I, I'm hoping you thought of a few other stories in Scripture. I think of the, of the immoral women uh, who, would, who came into Jesus' presence, and, and they, 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 in, in light of their immorality and their sex, sexuality, sensuality, all the things they were guilty of, and, and you have this one at the feet of Jesus weeping and washing his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair, kissing his feet out of an amazing abundance of appreciation and joy for who he is and what he represents. And he says, your faith has healed you. You, you are forgiven. And, and the righteous people in the room are like, well, if he only knew what kind of a woman. What do you mean you're forgiving her of her sins? Only God can do that. Right. And they should have bowed their knees right then and there to Jesus, but they didn't. And there may be people in our room or watching us online right now that have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. Who has atoned for all of our sins. So when, when, when we are talking about the hardships that come into our life because of our own sin, there is no excuse, believer. Repent. For you, those of you that have not come to faith in Christ, and, and I, I pray that there are some that are either here in this room or are online. Please don't hear my voice and my loud voice where when I get loud I sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I'm passionate for your salvation. And so aren't we all because we remember our sin. And our Savior has redeemed us. And we just want you to experience the same redemption that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so if, you are, if you've never repented from your sin as a whole, you can repent from all of your sin all at once right now. Just confess it all. I don't think Peter and Paul and others in Scripture were quantifying and making a list of the sins and, oh, I forgot one. I hope he'll forgive me for that one. No, he will. All of it. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Not in that order. He was an adulterer and a murderer. And God forgave him. God is in the habit of forgiving people who are repentant. So repentance is an appropriate response to our sin. And, and, it's, and if you're experiencing hardships in your life because of the sin you've committed, that's God's grace trying to wake you up. The hard times coming upon you are the fruit of your own activity. Repent, be restored, be brought to life, I should say. So overcoming hardships related to the sins of others requires us to forgive. And once again, I'm going to say, I don't have time today to get into the full aspect of forgiveness. We're going to get there. 
as we continue to study Matthew. But after I mentioned it a few weeks ago, I had multiple people come to me and, 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 and ask, what does it mean to forgive? What does it mean for me to forgive? So listen, if, if someone comes and they, and they have sown some sort of sin into your life, Again, I'll make a distinction. If you are a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've come to faith, you have no choice. You must forgive because you have been forgiven. And we'll get into the story of, in Matthew. of the, of the uh, We sang it just not long ago in the song, and it's like, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I think it was that song. It may be one of the other songs. I may get it wrong. But it's the idea of we have been forgiven this enormous, incalculable Debt of sin. And God has forgiven us. And yet we would withhold forgiveness from someone who has offended us or hurt us. And by the way, I'm not minimizing the offense and I'm not minimizing the hurt. The sin, as I've already talked about earlier, the sins of others can be devastating. But the road to overcome that devastation is the road of forgiveness. And to forgive means that you will no longer allow that person to have control in your life. There's sin against you. If you hold on to bitterness, if you hold on to unforgiveness, if you hold on to it, that sin that was committed against you still has control on you. You need to let it go. It's not the idea of letting go and letting God. That sounds very hallmarkish, but it's really the idea of let it go. Let it have no more power on you. Forgive because Jesus is a forgiver and he's forgiven you. So don't let them have power over you anymore. I was taught that when you forgive, you're basically saying, I'm never going to bring your offense up to you as a weapon. I'm never going to bring it up to others as a way of defaming you. But, you know, the hardest part is I'm going to choose to never bring it up to my mind again. Now, that's hard because we can think of those, things, those sins against us. The idea is we won't dwell on them. No longer am I going to allow your sin to impact my life that way. I'm going to choose to forgive you. And I'm going to trust God with your life and with mine. That's, that's the idea of forgiveness. We'll get more into that. But I, I will say forgiveness is the appropriate response to our being sinned against. Well, how often should I, should I forgive my brother or sister, Lord? Luke 17, 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. See how the relationship between for, uh, repentance and forgiveness? What happens in our relationship with God, it can happen in our relationship with one another. I'll be honest with you, if someone sinned against me seven times in the same day, I would probably be really struggling with this text. Let's not be foolish. We really struggle with this text. This is hard. But we're not doing it in our strength. We're doing it in God's strength. Because the, the idea of repentance and forgiveness, as we talk about repenting of our sin and, and coming to faith in Christ and receiving his forgiveness, we, we are now working in, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's a focus of another day. So overcoming hardships related to our situations in life, this is the, the main focus that I want to have from, from our time forward. Overcoming hardships related to our situation in life requires us to trust God. I told you we're going to build off this idea of trust, and, and, and I want to encourage you. God is worthy of trust. He's worthy of our trust. 
And I want to bring your attention to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to read it for you. I don't have it on the slide. I have it broken down into bits and pieces. But let me just read a little bit of 1 Peter. And I want to back up to verse 1 and, and then work ourselves down to verse 9. So you can listen as I read or follow along in your Bibles if you have it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. just wanted to read a portion. We're going to go through there on a cognizant of the time as we go forward. But I want us to just look, as we talk about hardships, what am, I, what am I talking about here? What kind of hardships are we encountering? Well, I've already mentioned a few, but let me just say, let me add to the list. What is looming large in your life right now? Well, especially at Christmas time, I will say loneliness is one of those big factors that comes on center stage at Christmas time. Everybody else is having parties and, and going and socializing and fellowshipping. And, and you might be one of those people that is not invited. You, you are one who is on the fringe of whatever group you may be uh, associated with. But you're, you're not one of the inner people. And Christmas just highlights that for you. You're that the rest of the year. But, but you're, just, you're just that person. And you're lonely. We have people in our, in, our, in our church body that are going through difficult times, maybe financially. This economy is difficult, and, and you had plans for the incomes. That, that You had this plan, and you were working the plan, and the incomes was coming in, and then the economy went, goes upside down, and interest rates rise, and costs go, become extreme. And now you don't have what you think and you planned to have at Christmas time. And rather than buying gifts for others, you are paying your bills. Rather than doing, putting money in for your retirement, you're just trying to survive to the next paycheck. There are difficult times that are looming large in people's lives, and these are hardships. There are people in our midst who are experiencing this particular Christmas as the first Christmas without their loved one, their wife, their husband, their child, their parents, whatever it might be. This is, this is, listen, as we talk about hardships, there is no end to the list that we could come up with. There are people hurting in our world. And as Christine and I were talking yesterday, and I'm not trying to make light of, of, of professional sports, I'm really not, but I, I do struggle 
when one individual can make $700 million. All right? I think the guy's pretty pretty awesome in, his, in, in the worldly sense of awesome in terms of what he's able to do as a baseball player, but really $700 million. I refuse to cast uh, dispersion or, or, or anything upon the Major League Baseball. That's not, it's the world we live in, folks, where someone who can play a sport better than just about anybody else is worth that kind of money when people are going through hardships and they don't know where their next meal is coming from. He's not responsible for the, for the, the, the poor people in this world. And I, I really, I'm not trying to defame him in the least. I mean, good for him. <laughs> but I would think even for someone in that position, that when they see the truth of what this world is, that it might move and challenge him and others like him who are earning apparently less than him um, to be challenged with what is going on in this world. So when we talk about hardships, I want to be encouraged. I want to encourage you that 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 tells us that God is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. Why? Because he's merciful. There's any message that could come through loud and clear at Christmas time, it's that God is merciful. That scared me. I don't know if it scared you. Okay. All right. Well, these days it's, yeah, it's going to, all right. But let's talk about it. Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. I'm not going to spend time on the first part of it, other than the fact that that word blessed is the idea that we receive blessings from God. When we are uh, reversing that and, and sending blessings to God, it's an act of worship. All right, We are worshiping God. God is to be worshiped, this God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, our God is characterized by mercy. We talked last week, he is a giving God. He is, gives us good things. Well, he, one of the things he gives us is mercy. He gives us, um, he, he, he gives something that, that will transform our lives. So God is worthy of trust because he is merciful. And I've come up uh, with this text really kind of fleshes this out for us. And we're going to go kind of quickly. But it says he, he, he's merciful in the sense that we are born again. Look what it says. It says, uh, uh, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. In other translations, it uses the word born again. It's the John chapter 3 terminology. It's the idea that we are born a second time, but not of the flesh, of the Spirit. He's saying, of His abundant mercy, this, this wonderful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has expressed this abundant mercy in borning us again, in giving us new life. And this is why I want to ask you, have you ever received that free gift? The one that comes after the recognition of your sin and the understanding of God's mercy? Are you willing to repent and receive? Because that's the plan of God. He is willing and, and would love for you to repent so that he would be able to give and so therefore you receive his mercy, which is forgiveness of sins. He's born us again. And, and, and so as we go through in his mercy, not only are we born again, but he's given us a living hope. Notice the, the progression here. Birth, then life. So often we are characterized by, well, I prayed a prayer or I came to faith in Jesus and, and that was good for yesterday. 
No, salvation is good for today. This is the idea of the gospel is for every person at every moment. The gospel is, is that realization that we are living every moment. We are given a living hope. God, through his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope, not a dead hope. Not a what-if hope. It's the idea of this hope that abides with us daily. you going through hardships in life. Recognize the mercy of God. And in that mercy, he has given us a living hope. It is, it is something that abides with you. And that, that living hope is, is specifically in, it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our hope comes from. Not that Jesus was born into the world. It wasn't just that Jesus was born and, and, and was raised to be a man. It wasn't just that he was raised to be a man. It was the fact that he died on that cross as a sinless substitute for you and for me. And then he resurrected from the dead. That's the, the, the culmination of, of his earthly ministry as he resurrected and eventually ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. But, but, but Peter is telling the pilgrims in verse 1 uh, of this dispersion, people, believers cast all over the world. He's saying, listen, his abundant mercy gives you a living hope. And his mercy is also seen in the sense that he has given us a secure heavenly inheritance. This particular verse got me through a particularly difficult time in my life. He says, listen, through this mercy and this giving of this mercy and our born again, being born again and, and experiencing all that he's given. He says, you have become and you are given an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So let me go back here. We have a secure heavenly inheritance. Birth, life, death. When do you get an inheritance? Someone dies. In this particular case, we die as believers, and we will receive this inheritance which God has promised in his mercy. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? He is willing to, to give you spiritual, new, new spiritual life. He is willing to uh, give you the ability to live in this world with living hope, and he has secured for you, for all children of God, there is this secure heavenly inheritance. It's not going to be experienced here and now. It happens later. He says to an inheritance incorruptible, notice it, it's incorruptible. It won't perish. It's, it's undefiled. It can't be uh, diminished in any sense. It, it can't be tainted by sin. And, and it does not fade away. It will never lose its shiny newness. Uh, it, uh, the fascination, right? It will not fade it's, it's reserved for us. It's held for us. It is promised, and it, God fulfills his promise. And, and this is what we have as we go through the hardships of this life. We have this waiting for us. But we have to wait for it. The first two we get to have now, salvation and walking in this living hope. But this this takes place in yet our future. What future? The future when Jesus Christ returns and takes his church to be with him and we will forever be with the Lord. That's when our inheritance is fully realized. And finally, we see in this aspect of mercy, God is worthy of our trust because he is merciful. We are under his protecting power. Listen, you ever had a bully in your life? Well, hardships are kind of like bullies. They're relentless. They never give up. But according to this text, we are kept by the power of God 
through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We are kept by the power of God. It's not up to us. It's not, no one can snatch us out of God's hands. I've been doing a lot of studying and reading on this, and I don't have time to get into it, but I am more and more assured of the reality that praise be to God that this gospel that he's given to us is secure in him. If you ever doubt your salvation, I ask you, turn to Scripture and look at the words of Peter, the denier, the one who was restored. He says, we are kept by the power of God. Do you think that might be a personal testimony on his part? I think it could be. We're kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation, the full realization of our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, that idea when Jesus comes. So, so it's, it's the idea we are under his protecting power until Jesus returns. We talk about the mission of our church is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. Because once he returns, there's no more need to make disciples. He is here. The king is in his kingdom, and we are forever with him. But until that time, not only has Jesus promised us his presence in the Great Commission of Matthew uh, 28, he is, he is saying, listen, it's by my power, it's by the power of God that will be revealed. But until that time, we are under God's protective power. So God is worthy of our trust because his mercy sustains us, right? That's, that's what all, the, all those things are sustaining us in this life. Therefore, we should rejoice, which is what this says. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. God is worthy of our trust because his mercy sustains us through the hardship until Jesus returns. I, I, I'm, I just got a look at the clock, and I can't believe how long I've been up here already. So this idea of greatly rejoicing is what we desire for you to experience at Christmas time. In response to his mercy in your life. We're hoping that you are greatly rejoicing because he is what sustains us. God is worthy of our trust. He goes on to say, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That, that's the idea of all the things I've shared earlier that you may be experiencing. Those within your circles of influence are grieving because of the various trials. But he's saying, listen, you can greatly rejoice. For a little while, read for your lifetime. For this little, maybe this little part of your lifetime, maybe your entire lifetime. We had a sister in Christ who had to leave here today because of the trial. She has a physical pain. And she has the sweetest spirit you would ever imagine a person to have. But she's in constant pain. And I think she gets through all that because she realizes that she can greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while... Her adult life, if need be, she's been grieved by various trials. This various trials is the, the things I'm talking about, the life's circumstances, that find, the life situations you find yourself in. So God's sustaining power through hardships demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. Well, is it worth going through all these hardships? Well, we've been encouraged by his mercy and his strength and his protective power. But the, as we understand here, when we go through these times, it says the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested, when we go through, not because of our own sin, not because of the sins of others, but because of uh, the circumstances of life, we can, there are times where God is just testing the, the genuineness of our faith. He's allowing us to go through these times. 
Why does he allow us to go through these times? So that we may be found to praise, honor, and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ. God will enable us to be sustained through all the hardships of life, no matter what it is. And he, in his power, will bring us through it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It is God's ability to sustain us in this life, even when we're going through various testings of trial, that we can say it's an evidence of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's an evidence of our salvation. And we do it so that on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed, God will be glorified. Then he, he says, whom we have not seen, we're going to go through this quickly, whom we have not seen, you love. That's, that's what we're uh, talking about. Expecting Christmas? Find Christ. Though now you do not see him, and we don't, yet believing, and we do, you rejoice with joy and full of glory. Joy and glory. No, full joy, inexpressible. That's what I'm asking you to consider. Have you ever experienced that level of joy as you look at your sin and how in light of a holy God? Because when you realize your sin's been atoned for, it's joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is, that is where we are heading as believers of Jesus Christ. The salvation of it has it is a reality now, but it will be fully experienced when Jesus returns. We live in light. Excuse me, uh, as the first century people, uh, actually Old Testament people, even the first century people living up to the birth of Christ. I think of I think of uh, the guy in the temple, but the Jesus is the baby, Simeon. I have a picture of it in my house. I love that picture. That's the joy, right? He lived to see the joy of God's salvation, and he was caught up in the spirit and praising God, and, and that's what we desire for you, and that's what we desire for each and every person who hears the gospel to experience. So I'm, I have to close now because we still have some songs to sing, but I'm going to ask you to please consider uh, how do you overcome hardships? Well, it depends, and I, I just listed them here. If it's your own sin, repent. If it's someone else's sin, forgive. If it's just a situation in life, trust God through it because he is faithful and he is merciful. Expecting Christmas, finding Christ. I pray that you would be encouraged this Christmas season to find Christ in the midst of your life circumstances. Father, I thank you for the time that we have had to be in your word. Lord, I recognize the depth of pain and struggles that exist within lives, within our church, outside of our church. And Father, I pray that you would help us to realize every day how your mercy can be put on display as we share our story of faith with others, as we remind people of the Christmas hymns and what they mean as we remind people the stories that we know in scripture Lord as we do all these things we pray that we would help others find Jesus and as others find Jesus in Christmas we will find Jesus in Christmas may you be glorified as we not only seek to live out our faith but to see to seek to sow faith into the lives of others in Jesus name we pray